2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. I'd like to read one verse of Scripture that you're hearing this evening. 2 Peter 2, 1. The Bible said, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. For a few moments, I want to talk about false teachers among us. One of the most successful rackets in the world today, as I understand it, is selling of fake art. The selling of fake art. Now, I'm not much of an art, art guy. I do like some of the Thomas Kincaid stuff and things like that. I think it's beautiful. I'm not much into this modern-day art that's out there today. I read somewhere not long ago, or heard a lot long ago, that there was a man that won first place and a great big prize for uh, his artwork uh, in this new type of art. Only to discover a week later the thing was hung upside down, and he still won first place. That tells you about the artwork. But yet there's a lot in the world today about fake art. Publishers also have had their fair share uh, of, of, of fake manuscripts. Uh, they would buy a manuscript they thought was authentic only to find out uh, that it too was not genuine after all. I remind you that counterfeits are nothing new. Uh, Satan is the great imitator. He's the great counterfeiter. As a matter of fact, Satan himself uh, is a great counterfeiter. Paul said, For such are false apostles, uh, deceitful workers, transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Satan has false Christians. And Satan has done his best to deceive this world uh, ever since he brought the great ho hoax up on Eve uh, way back in the Garden of Eden itself. As we've said, Satan has false Christ. Satan has a false gospel. Satan even has a false righteousness. And one day he will reveal to this world a false Christ. The nation of Israel was constantly uh, being led <coughs> astray by false prophets. Elijah had to contend with the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal were a paganistic people. They were proclaiming a false doctrine, a false religion. It was the Jewish false prophets who did more damage to the nation of Israel than anybody else. Perhaps even more than their own enemies. You know why? Uh, because they claimed they were speaking the mind of God when in reality the false prophets didn't even know God, didn't know the voice of God, and they were prophesying from their own heart and from their own head and not really thus saith the Lord. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they exposed this counterfeit ministry, but people continued to follow uh, the pseudo-prophets of that day. Why? Because the religion of the false prophets uh, was easy. It was comfortable and it was very popular. They would say, prophesy unto us smooth things. Let us feel good in our sins. Tell us about this God uh, that, that, that is going to appease us and, and just wink at our sins uh, that we do. He's, he's a good God and a just God. <coughs> he excuses the things that we do. But the fact the false prophet preached false peace did not seem to worry the people. Know what Jeremiah said. They have, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Notice, if you will, 
The message for them is what they wanted to hear. They did not want to hear the true word of God. They wanted to hear what would pamper their flesh. They wanted to, what, they wanted to hear what would make them feel good in their sin and continue on in their sin. My point is this. If the nation of Israel was de deceived by false prophets, and they were, how easy is it for the church to be deceived by false teachers, and many of us are. Notice again what he said in the Word of God. He said emphatically, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There are no ifs and buts in Peter's words. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. There were false prophets among the people of Israel in the Old Testament. That is indeed a fact of history. False prophets were a constant problem in the Old Testament, and those who claimed to be prophets of God and spoke the wrong way, they were supposed to be stoned to death. If what the prophet said did not come to pass, they were to be stoned to death. But the people were afraid to do that, and therefore they let the false prophet continue to prophesy falsely. That brought more people on board, and it brought more havoc and more damage and disaster to the spiritual life of the people of God than anything else. Been several years ago, a lady walked into this church. She came a couple times. She met me at the door and she said, Pastor, I'm a prophet. And if I attend your church, am I allowed to prophesy? I said, Well, let me ask you a couple questions, if I may. What's your prayer life like? Well, what's that got to do with it? Bingo, red flag. If you're not talking to God, how's God talking to you? And I said, ma'am, do you consider yourself an Old Testament prophet or a New Testament prophet? Well, what's the difference? I said, the Old Testament prophet, if the Old Testament prophesied and got it wrong, they stoned them to death. And I said, if the New Testament prophet prophesied and they're out of order, they set them down. Which one are you? Hadn't seen that woman since. I don't mean to be ugly. But I'm here to tell you, friend, if you're a prophet of God, you don't go around, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet. Your fruit will follow what you do. With that being said, false prophets were the problem. In the same way, Peter says, there will be false teachers among you. Notice what he said, among whom? Among you. Peter is writing to the church, there will be false prophets or false teachers among you. He was not talking about New Age people on television. He wasn't talking about another religion somewhere in another denomination or another uh, cult. He was talking about people in the local church and he was talking to the local church as well. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a pure church this side of heaven. There is no such thing as a pure church this side of heaven. The wheat and the tare are going to grow together. But when the Lord comes, the separation takes place. Satan is the counterfeiter. He has a false gospel. He has a, 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 a false, uh, preached by false ministers producing false Christians. Satan puts his counterfeits wherever God places his genuine believers. He's a counterfeiter. Now, how do you tell the authentic from the counterfeit? How do we tell the authentic from the counterfeit? And here's the problem today. You're judging me. Friend, we don't judge. The Word of God judges. Well, it's going to be offensive. Yes, it is. 
Because you see, the devil has got people duped in thinking that if we speak the truth, it's going to offend somebody, so therefore we're going to be quiet. No, we've got to stand upon the truth and the integrity of the Word of God. If the Word of God offends me, I've got to make it right. If the Word of God offends you, I can't apologize. If I offend you, I'm sorry. If the Word does, you better talk to Jesus. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one you're going to stand before. He's the one that's going to judge us. Not by popularity, but by what thus saith the Word of God. How do you and I recognize a counterfeit Christianity? Well, if you look in 2 Peter chapter 1, you will see there the traits of what a genuine believer looks like. If you look in 2 Peter chapter 2, you will see the traits of what a counterfeit Christian looks like. So tonight I want to lay aside, if I can, side by side, 2 Peter chapter 1, the genuine believer, and 2 Peter chapter 2, the counterfeit believer. And let's look at what, how you can tell the difference one between the other. First of all, there are a different source. Where does the message come from? Notice in 1 Peter 1.16, Peter said, We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The counterfeit says in chapter 2 and verse 3, they false teachers exploit you with stories they've made up. So here we see the true source is the Word of God. The false teacher relies on his own creativity. The false teacher relies on his own message. The false teacher relies on his own ingenuity. It's a false gospel telling stories rather than telling the gospel. Let that sink in just a minute. You can go to a lot of churches and learn more about Plato and Socrates. You don't learn about Jesus Christ. You go to some churches and learn more about current events then you'll hear on Fox or CNN. It's not about telling stories about a dog that got run over or a cat that died or a hound that had the hiccups. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified to the glory of God. False teachers rely on their own creativity. Often they will take a text and they in turn will give a proof text to support what they think rather than to say what the Word of God says. I see this more and more from educated preachers. I'm going to make a bold statement. In many pulpits in America and around the world, if the text had the measles, the sermon never would catch it because the two never got close enough together. I listened to a man just a few weeks ago, a very highly educated, respected man, I have respect for this gentleman. But he preached a good word until he began to use his opinions as the gospel truth. And that scared me. I'm saying, wait a minute. If it's your opinion, say it's the opinion. But don't let it come across as thus saith the Lord. And we see more and more and more of this today. It's called proof texting. You can use any scripture you want and answer a question if you take it out of context. And there are many people taking scriptures out of context. They become proof text to prove whatever it is they want to tell you. And many people believe it hook, line, and sinker. It's a different message. What's the substance of the message for the false teacher? Jesus Christ is central. He said in 2 Peter 1.3, We have everything we need for life and godliness in Him. 
But for the false teacher in 2 Peter 2, 1, Jesus is in the margins. Get this, they were secretly, get that word, they were, sec- they were secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. The genuine will teach Jesus from the Word of God. But the counterfeit uh, will talk about denying the Lord Jesus Christ and bring in heresies secretly that they've got together. Notice the word secretly. It's very rare in the church today that some people boldly deny Jesus Christ. But they keep him to the margin. They keep him left to center. There are those that come up and say, you know what? Jesus was not really divine. He was simply a man. He was the offspring of Mary. He was the son of God, but he was not divine. All of those things are false. And many people are adhering to those things today. The false teacher will speak about how other people can help change your life. But if you listen carefully, they will say, you see, that Jesus Christ is not essential to the message. It's Jesus plus works. It's Jesus plus church. It's Jesus plus money. It's Jesus plus this book. It's Jesus plus... No, friend, i tell you what right now. It's Jesus and him crucified, case closed. Jesus is the preeminent one. There's a different position. In what position will the message leave you once you've heard it? What, what do you get from the authentic believer? What do you get from the counterfeit? The true Christian escapes the corruption of the world caused by evil desires, 2 Peter 1.4. Listen to how Peter describes the counterfeit Christian in chapter 2 and verse 19. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. The believer escapes corruption... Whereas the counterfeit believer is mastered by corruption. The Lord did not come to save me in my sin. He came to save me and deliver me from my sin. Not to continue to live in that, but out of it, thank God. Think about for a moment Jim Joneses of this world. Had just enough truth in the message. Let me remember Jim Jones and the Ghana incident way back in the 70s, I think late 70s. Had just enough truth to bring people in. And once he gave just enough truth to lure them in, deceptive message. And now they were cult followers. Now they were following personality. Now they were following the crowd. And once people get worked up into that frenzy, once they get worked up that emotionalism, they begin to adhere to anything the leader says just because of who he is. Look what he's done. He's brought all of us across the world. He's built this beautiful building. He's built this plantation. All he's done is this, that. No, my friend, it's about Jesus. No hero worship. No preacher worship. Worshiping Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. Stars of the gospel don't last long. And we see shooting stars that burn out overnight sometimes. But we look to the Son of the living God. I don't know about you, but it bothers me when I see what's going on in the world. I talked to a young man and his wife just a few days ago before we left to Virginia. They came to our house, first time I ever met them. Probably never see them again. They talked like they might come to church. We were talking, all of a sudden he takes God's name in vain. And my wife just out there just said something. And the wife said, what happened? She said, he just sat there and took God's name in vain. And I guess the reason it startled us both, he said he was a youth pastor. And we get to talk to him, and he hadn't been to church in umpteen years. And you look at the Facebook page, and it's vulgar, full of profanity, 
full of all kinds of vulgar things, but oh, how I love Jesus. There's something wrong with a salvation experience that does not change our lives. There's something wrong about meeting Jesus Christ and walk away the same way you came to it. That's not the gospel I read. That's not the power of God that I see. That's a pseudo-gospel that appeases the minds of men. And I sat there and talked to that young man. He's so embittered because he got hurt in ministry, but yet I love Jesus. I'm not judging. I began to talk to him. And I said, tell me about the Jesus of the Bible. And next thing you know, I had him convinced, I believe, that he had invented the God in his mind that he was worshiping, and that God was not this God. And that's what we've done in American culture especially. We have so invented a God in our mind that we think we love and we think he winks at our sins and we think he's going to forgive us for every sin that we live in. I talked to another guy just two days, uh, three days ago up in Bluefield, West Virginia. I got ready to pull into the handicapped spot and he went like this at me because he's getting ready to pull in. So I backed up and said, help yourself. He pulls in, he gets out, and I roll my window down, and he, he said, you got a better place? I said, sure do. We begin to talk. And here's a man that's 59 years of age, and I have been praying for him. He looks like he's going on 85. He lost his wife to death several years ago, and now he moves to West Virginia. He meets this woman who's in a wheelchair. Her mother's in a wheelchair. Where he's engaged. And when you get married, oh, we're not going to get married. Why? We're just living together. I ask the Lord every night to forgive me. And once again, I would go to the scripture and say, Sir, let's talk. Let's talk. Tell me about this God that you serve. And let me tell you about the God who really loves you. And the God who really wants to set you free from your sin and from the addictions and the strongholds that you have. I see this duplicated over and over and over everywhere I go today that in America we apparently have failed as a church or apparently people have been so duped and deceived by sin that we don't know who the God of the Bible really is. Because we make it so easy for people. Here's a man living in adultery. And he says, I ask God every night to forgive me, but I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Show me that from the scripture. I went through the obituaries to look up my dad. And I went down through the list and I saw a number of people that I knew that had died in the last couple of years. They archived those things up there for a while. Guys I played football with in high school, Guys I played basketball with in high school. Some of my good friends that died didn't even know. I strolled down and saw this one guy. He was a few years behind me, but he had a reputation of being a homosexual. He died. And the obituary read something to the effect, a man who loved Jesus and a man who was of the Christian faith survived by his male partner of 30 years. Friend, I'm sorry, that sickens me. I said, I'm sorry, that sickens me. Well, preacher, you're not his judge. No, I'm not. But the Bible lets me know that homosexuality is a sin as much as drinking, as much as drunkenness, as much as thievery, as much as idolatry, as much as adultery. It's sin. 
And friend, the world needs to understand the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross that we might be redeemed, brought back from a sinful lifestyle, brought back from a sinful practices, that we might live a holy life in an unholy world. Now, if that sounds judgmental, God help me. But it's not. It's the truth of the gospel. When I stand before God, he's not going to say, I'm letting you in because you were a preacher. I'll let you into my kingdom because you, you claim to know me. He's going to let me in based upon the fact that I know Jesus Christ and a free pardon of sin and that I've been washed in the blood and I have come out from the world to be a separate people, to be like him. That's not about works. That's about relationship. How long do you think my wife would have me if I was out here with, with, with a different woman ever or the same I had, a, I had a girlfriend on the side. And I'd come home, forgive me, honey. What are you going to do tomorrow? I'm going back in her arms. How long do you think that's going to last in the natural? Well, what makes you think it's going to happen in the spiritual? Church, we had better wake up and blow the dust off the Word of God and find out who this holy God is in this unholy world that we live in so that the Lord Jesus Christ can purify the church through the blood that the power of God might flow through us again to reach a world that's going to hell. God help us. There's a different character between the genuine believer and the false believer. What kind of people does the message produce. The true believer, according to 2 Peter 1, 5, pursues goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brother, brotherly kindness, and love. The counterfeit Christian, according to 2 Peter 2, 10, is marked by arrogance and slander. In verse 14, they are experts in greed and their eyes are full of adultery. In verse 10, they also despise authority. That's the general characteristics of a counterfeit believer. Back to Jim Jones and Father Divine. You know where they went downhill? When Jim Jones went to Father, Father Divine one time and said, what do I, I'm paraphrasing, what do I do about the women that are kind of coming on to me? Oh, you're the leader you service them. Okay. He listened to Father Divine when he should be listening to Father God. And once Pandora's box is open, once the genie comes out of the bottle, it's hard to push it back in as well. You tell me how it glorifies God when men and women walk into a sanctuary on a Monday morning with Bible in hand, singing songs about redemption, singing songs about the love of God, singing songs about Jesus Christ, and oh, I love the Lord, and then walk out of that church building, and Monday through Friday, live like the devil, speak like the devil, and, 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 and do the things, preach the things, and live the things that contrary to what the God of the worship on Sunday morning is all about. Can I just go a step further? I don't understand how politicians and preachers who are supposed to name the name of Christ uh, can support abortion, can, can, can support uh, the, the, these homosexual agendas, and support all of these things that are contrary to God's Word. They're compromising the integrity of God's Word for a vote at the poll, and it's wrong. Amen. And that's not a favor or a story. That's the gospel truth. 
And I believe it's important, friends, that we as Christians, that we vote men and women into the places. Uh, it's not that we're voting for a party. I believe we need to vote for people that's going to stand on the side of Israel, uh, stand on the side of the Word of God, stand on the side of right, stand on the side of decency. And if they're not there, let's vote out what is and vote in what we can for the glory of God. God's not through with America. But it's imperative, friend, that we have revival in the church house, that it might flow out into the White House and into the Congress and into the State House, everywhere that we go. But compromising won't do it. I get so sickened. And I don't know why I'm on this tonight, but every time I turn the TV on, on any channel you go, there's somebody that are trying to preach their, their particular way of living. We need to live our way of living. There's a different appeal. Why should you listen to the message? The true teacher appeals to Scripture, 2 Peter 1.19. We have the word of the prophets is made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention. God has spoken, and the true teacher appeals to the word of God. Amen. Not popularity, but to the word of God. The false teacher makes a different appeal. 2 Peter 2.18 By appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. So the true teacher asks, What has God said in His Word? The false teacher asks, What do you want me to say that will make you feel good? What do you want me to say that will appease and appeal to your flesh? Don't you see a lot of that going on today? Yes. You know what? I, I'm sure that I'll never win a popularity contest. And I'm sure that much of what I preach today is not politically correct. And there may be a time, friend, we'll be thrown in jail for preaching the truth of God's love. But I pray if it's done, it's done in love. Preached in love. The other night, we were at a banquet in, missions banquet at the district council. And they were showing a little video clip or something. Help me out, Greg. I think it's like a little picture or something of preachers that were handcuffed running off to jail because of preaching the gospel. I whispered to Greg, I said, you get a video of that and make a sermon coming to a church near you. Because that may be where we're headed. Amen. But friend, we'll never know what we're willing to die for until we know what we're willing to stand for. I'm telling you, I am so burdened for the loss of this world and so burdened for the church that Jesus died for. Somebody told me that they said, how come American church is not persecuted? Friend, we've not done anything worthy of persecution. Think about it. We've not done anything worthy of persecution. We get our feelings hurt if somebody don't speak to us. We get our feelings hurt if somebody don't do this or somebody don't do that. We've all been there. We know that. But I'm here to tell you, friend, we had better know who our Lord is in this hour that we live because it's Him who has called us, commissioned us, and sent us. And may we see Him confirm His Word through us. There's a different fruit. What results does the message have in the lives of the people? Again, to the true believer in chapter 2, verse, uh, uh, ch chapter two verses 1 and 8, the true believer is effective and productive in his or her knowledge of Jesus Christ. The counterfeit, he said, in 2 Peter 2.17, is like a spring without water. That's a beautiful picture. They promise much, but produce little. 
They promise a lot, but they produce little. There's a different end. Oh, there's always an end. Where does the message of me lead you? Here we find the most disturbing contrast of all. For the genuine, authentic Christian in 2 Peter 1.11, the true believer will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. The false believer, 2 Peter 2.1, will experience swift destruction. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping in verse, chapter 2 and verse 3. I don't believe God gets any joy out of sinners dying and going to hell. I don't believe God receives any glory out of sinners that have not repented or out of professing Christians that profess it but don't live it. Here we have it. A different service or a different source. Where does the message come from? For the child of God, it comes from the Bible. For the, for the counterfeit, it comes from the mind made up. It's a different message. What's the substance of the message? Ours is Jesus. And theirs leads them to fairy tales. A different position. And what position will the message leave you? It'll leave us knowing the Lord or leave us not knowing the Lord. A different character. What kind of person will the message produce? Somebody where the fruit of the Spirit will grow or somebody that has the fruit of the flesh that manifests wherever we are. And then there's a different appeal. Why should we listen to the message? Because one leads us home, the other leads us to hell. A different fruit. What does the result of the message have in the people's life? Those that know the Lord have a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The others, they're springs without water, clouds without rain, bags with empty holes, wells that are dry. The different end, where does the message ultimately lead us? To the believer, we're going home. Amen. Thank God there's a place called home. And to the unbeliever, to those that are deceived, brings them to death and destruction. Let me close tonight. Friend, we can't be ignorant. He said, there will be false teachers among you. So how do we apply the warning? I hope when you go home today, tonight, tomorrow, sometime, that you'll take first, Second Peter 1 and 2 Peter 2 and put, juxtapose them together and see the authentic from the counterfeit and see where you and I may fit into those things as we look into it a bit closer. How do we apply the warning? First Peter made plain statements, reminds us that the church needs to be protected. How do you do that? Among the many wonderful people that can come into the doors of our church, we need to know those that labor among us. Amen. I get people that call me all the time, can I come and preach? Who are you? Well, I'm so-and-so. I graduated from so-and-so university, okay? Who are you? What do you preach? Well, I tell jokes. Or I do this. I said, no, thank you. I had one guy got so mad at me. You know why? He was a professional football player. And he thought I should bring him in just because he's a professional football player. I said, in my mind, I'm a professional football player. Just never made it. Had a lady called a few weeks ago. I was riding down the road and moved here from New York and saw you at church and wanted to know what the assumes of God believes. 
I said, okay. Can you call me back? I'm at the doctor's office right now. Yes, ma'am, I can, about an hour. So I called her back. And she said, I want to know how you minister to the uh, homosexual community. I said, just like I minister to anybody else in the community. No, I want to know, how do you minister to the homosexual community? I'm a lesbian. I moved here from New York, and I'm looking for a church. I'm Methodist. I'm looking for a church, and I want to know how you minister. I said, the same way we minister to the alcoholics, to the drug addicts, to the idolaters, the adulterers, the fornicators. You're not understanding. How do, I, how do you minister to them? I'm an ordained minister of a certain denomination, and I have a, a doctorate degree, and I'm just as educated as you are. And I said, that's wonderful. If you don't understand what I'm saying, we have a web page that you're more than welcome to go to and see our position on homosexuality and lesbianism. We love people, but we do not condone lifestyles of sins to teach and to preach in the church. That's a hate crime, Pastor. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's telling love. I read an article right before I came in this service tonight of a Baptist church that ordained their first transgender pastor. And they're now saying how we have opened up the door because we've got to be more sensitive to the needs. Friend, we do need to be more sensitive to the needs of the unsaved. But that does not mean that I'm going to allow a heterosexual that's committing adultery or fornication to stand behind this pulpit or minister in any capacity of this church. I'm not going to let a drunkard do it. I'm not going to let a pedophiliac do it. I'm not going to let a, a homosexual do it. And if that's a hate crime, no, it's not. It's standing on the side of righteousness and wholeness unto our God. You don't let the fox watch the hen house. The church has got to be protected. And we've got to have the intestinal fortitude in this hour to stand up to the truth and the integrity of God's word and let the chips fall where they may. Jesus died that sinners might be saved. And bless God, if we have to, we'll die to proclaim Jesus can still set the captive free. It's time, friend, that we stand up for what we believe in. And here's the problem. You're so... Hobophobia, you're so, forget the phobias. These are things the world has invented to make you feel comfortable in your sin. Sin is sin. And Jesus died for it. Years ago, I said, I'd join your church if you would just lower the standards a little bit. To which I said, we'd let you join if you'd raise them a bit. What's happened, friend? We've let the bar so low. But we've got to know those that labor among us. Jim Baker, God love his heart, many years ago, he wrote a book entitled, I Was Wrong. And in that book, he said, I I laughed in that book and I cried in that book and I got angry in that book when I read it. But he said something to the effect, I knew men were living illicit lifestyles, but because God used them, I thought it was okay. And I let them on my program. We can't do that, friends. Know those that labor among you. Secondly, let me say this. They may be some of the nicest people on all the earth, some of the most affluent people on all the earth, but they don't adhere to the authority of God's Word, and they want to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. (laughs) But I'm sorry. 
can't have no part of it. Secondly, skeptics will always be able to point to the hypocrisy and inconsistencies within the church. Just as there's genuine believers and there are counterfeit believers, there's also hypocrites. You're looking at me and say, God, is that me? Let's be honest. There are days we have our days. There are days we have our moments, do we not? You without sin, throw the first Bible. We have our days. But a hypocrite is somebody that is constantly living in sin and trying to hide that. We may stumble, we may fall, and we do. We may sin, but thank God we have a Christian fire escape. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. You don't use a fire escape every day, only when the building's on fire. I told a guy one time, I ain't going to church, that thing's filled with hypocrites. I said, well, if a hypocrite stands between you and God, the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. And I says, you're a hypocrite. Why is that? I said, well, there are hypocrites on the job and you go to work. There's hypocrites at the movie theater and you go there. There's hypocrites at the ball game, you don't stop you from going there. So you're, you're not holding up the water here, it just don't work. The existence of the counterfeit's never good reason to reject the genuine. Let me say it again. The existence of the counterfeit is never a good reason for rejecting the genuine. Peter says, of course, there are counterfeit Christians. Of course, there are teachers who do the church more harm than good. What else would you expect in this fallen world? Let's grow up. Let's don't be naive. Don't miss the real because of the counterfeit. They will always be there. But friend, if you want to know God, you've got his word, and you've got the prayer closet, and you've got a prayer language, and thank God we can seek his face. Amen. Now friends, Anytime I speak on things like this, I'm fearful that people will misunderstand. We're coming to the place in our lives that we all have friends, neighbors, and or family members that are wrestling with homosexuality and lesbianism. We're all coming in our lives where we have people that are wrestling with some type of a vice or a sin. And we have got to be able to minister to these people and to love them but my point tonight is simply, we got to know those that labor among us. Please understand that. One of the reasons that I think that we are seeing, quote unquote, gay churches forming, is because maybe in the churches that we have, that we've not made room to love on them, and they need to be loved on, not to be condemned. I, I'm, I'm going over, but I've got to share this. When I, I may have shared it before, but when I was in college, we'd go out every Friday and Saturday night to the streets of Lakeland, and we would witness. And every time I'd go out, I'd run into a homosexual. And honest to God, of all the sins, that's the one I can't wrap my hands around. I can't understand it. It don't compute to me. That's just the way I'm put together. And I went back to a guy that was ramrodding this thing. His name was Brian. Brian was several years older than me. And Brian had a Volkswagen van that he kept full of Bibles, and he gave out those Bibles. And that man was a soul-winning machine. He would ask in the follow-up meetings, how are things going? I said, Brian, every time I go on the street, I, I run into homosexual, and I can't stand him. Oh, really? I said, why? He said, why? I said, I, I, I just don't understand. He said, I tend to have mercy on him. I said, why? He said, that's the lifestyle God saved me from, and my life changed forever. I said, Lord... If you can do that in Brian's life, 
You can do that in anybody's life. And I am so grateful through the years that God's opened up doors for me to counsel with homosexuals and lesbians and befriend them, have them in my home, been in their home. Don't, don't throw this stuff at me that I don't love. I do. But what I'm saying is we've got to learn how to accept people where they are and love them where they are without judging them for where they are. Does that make sense? We can love people without condemning them. And I think that's very important because I'm praying God opened up more doors. Befriend people that are not like us. Befriend the alcoholic. Befriend the heterosexual that's, that's living in adultery. Befriend the homosexual. Befriend them. Get in their world. Ask questions. Have dialogue. That's what's important. We're not here to condemn people, nor is Jesus. What I'm trying to get across tonight is we need to know those that labor among us with false teaching. Okay. 